Welcome to African American Conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement. I'm your host, Marie Strotter. Please be sure to like, follow, subscribe, all of those good things. You can find us at brightnews.com and also at anchor.fm forward slash A-A-C-O-N-S. One of the things that we talk about a lot at ACONS um, is the whole role of history and looking at history in context. And if you know the history of slavery, you know that Blacks, it was illegal for anyone to teach someone who was Black how to read or how to write, because if they had knowledge, if they had uh if they were able to read and write, uh, they could mount an insurrection or they could escape or they could do all these different things. So it was illegal to teach them uh, how to read or write. And I think that that is also somewhat true of the electoral process is that there's been so much misinformation, disinformation out there. Um, that the black community tends to listen to sound bites. They hear these different things and they don't really investigate. You know, when I was tapped to serve on Black Voices for Trump, so many of my black liberal friends, I mean, really, really gave me the business. And I heard of, how could you? And, you know, I had to explain to them, do you know what Margaret Sanger stood for? How can you support someone, a candidate in your party when the party plank is to destroy, dismember, kill an innocent life? And it's supposed to be safe, legal, and rare. It's not none of those anymore. It's not safe. It's not legal. It's back down to the states now, but it's immoral and it's not rare. Um, 96% do not meet any kind of medical criteria. So, you know, and the fact that the mother's life is a danger, I think is even under 1%. So those kinds of issues. Um, but yet I had to explain to people, uh, we will talk about school choice a little bit today with Colonel Alan West and the whole issue of school choice being the civil rights movement of our time. You know, I've talked to him about that um, for, for many, many years, and I've heard a lot of other people now start to embrace that. Uh, but really, it was he and I that I remember talking about it way back in 2010, maybe, Um and now after COVID, after the pandemic and seeing how children have languished um, and seeing that parents are now seeing what their children are exposed to and how their children are falling behind, you're seeing, uh, I think we talked to uh, Dr. Brian uh, Ray, who talked about homeschoolers, uh, the black population being the fastest growing segment of homeschoolers. It's still a very fast growing segment because we now are empowered to teach our children, to educate our children, understanding that we are not equal still, even after Brown v. Board of Education. We still have an unequal and separate system for schools. And that has continued. And that is continuing. And when you see the rates, as we talk about math and reading and school scores and all of these kinds of things, our kids are still very much behind. But I find it interesting that, you know, it is election week and we talk about uh, the need to have ID and how it disproportionately affects black people. And that, you know, we're so, I guess, dumb that we can't get ID, um, which is bizarre because, you know, as we talked about recently, Joe Biden talked about that it the fees for uh, more room in the front of an airplane uh, disproportionately affects black people. Well, have you gone to an airport recently without your ID? Don't you need that to fly? Yeah, you do. So how do they get on the airplane if we're too dumb to get an ID to be able to show how to vote? I mean, to show to vote. Um, but yeah, my whole family went to vote this week. And my all of us, except my youngest son, all have our new ID for our new states. But my youngest son does not. And guess what? We took his birth certificate. We took his social security card. We took all of his documents. We took his voter ID card. 
um, his little voter ID number that he has, all of those documents. And guess what? He voted. So, you know, it's not about this thing that they, they try to use to uh, stoke racial animus. So I really have um, concerns at this misinformation that the Black community is being fed. And we want to believe it. It seems like we want to believe it. But I have hope. I have a lot of hope because as I mentioned, my family of five, we are black, but we're conservative. Um, I am seeing so many focus groups where they're talking to minorities and people of color about how they're voting. And it used to be that they were like, well, in this election, I might vote for this guy. And I'm seeing people who are voting down the ticket, Republican, 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 Republican. Now, I still consider myself an independent who votes Republican. Um, but I have to tell you that I did sit down with our family and we talked about this as a family, why these policies are good for our community and why these policies are good for our family and what our specific situation is having just purchased a home and paying property taxes and some of those other kinds of things. And so I really believe that education is key, that if we were not able to read and write because during slavery, it would put us in a better position to escape. How much better now when there are no barriers, when no one is saying you can't go to university because you're black or that you can't do this or that you can't read or you can't write, that you cannot be taught to read or write. Um, we can do all of those things now without impunity. And so it is upon us to educate ourselves and don't be afraid. Don't let them use racist as a cudgel. Don't let them say, well, you're this, you're that, you're that. And all of these suppositions based on the way that you vote or the way that you think. Education is key. Educate yourself, inform yourself and find out which party espouses the values that you believe in most. Do the research for yourself. Don't listen to these little sound bites on MSNBC or some of these other stations or even Fox News. Uh, I, I really believe that you need to do the research for yourself. And when I have these conversations with my black liberal friends and explain to them who Margaret Singer was and explain to them that it was President Donald J. Trump who gave money to HBCUs. They had to go every year and ask for money. And he gave them where I think it was 10 years, which was the most that you could give them without having to come back and go through the reallocation process. So he set it at 10 years, that funding. And so when I explained those sorts of things, people are like, you're kidding me. What? No, uh, -uh not, this is not true. And I'm like, go research it for yourself and come back and talk to me. And people were like, I'm going to go. You've given me some things to think about. So I just want to challenge those of you who are listening, go do the research for yourself. If you are a Christian, you need to look in the word of God and nowhere else. That's what started me, a former Democrat, a former liberal, even though I was always pro-life, that started me on the path of discovery. And as I read God's word, I realized you can't, even though I was pro-life, you can't kill an innocent life. That's a plank in the Democrat party. You can't do some of these things. Traditional marriage is a gift from God. It's his intellectual property. So all of these things you have to look at in light of scripture, and you have to research and find out where these policies are coming from and where these talking points are coming from. Are they disenfranchised people that just want to fear monger and scare you into what you believe? Or are they firmly rooted in the word of God and firmly rooted in policy positions? And don't be afraid to vote for the person that's going to put more money in your family's budget who's going to do things that benefit your family and that help your family stay employed so that you can do the things that you need to do. Who is going to lower the gas prices so that you can afford to get to all the places that you need to go to? Do that research for yourself and we'll all be better off.
those of you who watch the show regularly know that we have Lieutenant Colonel Alan West as a regular guest. So today is Alan West Day at ACONS. Lieutenant Colonel Alan B. West is a combat veteran, having served for 22 years in uniform. He was a member of the 112th Congress, serving as a representative for Florida. Further, he served as the chairman of the Republican Party of Texas, a former gubernatorial candidate for Texas, and now serves as the executive director for the American Constitutional Rights Union. He is also the host of the podcast, Steadfast and Loyal, and is the author of three books and is the uh, pop-up to the cutest child on the planet, Jackson. Welcome back to the show. Good to be with you. Thanks for having me, Marie. As you join us, it is election week in America. Mm -hmm. What are your takeaways from this election? Well, first of all, let's start off with what you just said. This is election week. I remember growing up as a kid with uh, Walter Cronkite, Huntley Brinkley on NBC, Ted Koppel over at ABC. You knew the results of the election before yes. you went to bed. So yes. how is it at a time when we did not have all of this technology that we could you know, process these votes and, and get the results uh, posted and published, but yet now with all this new technology, we are now in election week. Uh, definitely, without a doubt, is very, you know, undermining to the confidence that people have, especially, let's say you're in Maricopa County, you wake up, you're going yep. out to vote, and the next thing you know, you're told, ah, the, the machines are down, it's not tabulating the votes, and then you go to another place, ah, the machines are down, or you go to a voting location, ah, we ran out of ballots, we don't have enough ink. This level of incompetence is really starting to frustrate people. And, you know, for whatever reason, we've got to get this corrected so that we do get back the credibility and the confidence in our election uh, system, electoral system. Uh, now, coming off of this uh, midterm election cycle, there was so much hype. There was so much hyperbole, so many <laughs> predictions from the posters, the pundits and the uh, consultants. And they got it wrong. That, that's yeah. just the bottom line. And I think that what you end up seeing was a Republican Party that just trusted on they're going to vote for us because they don't like the other guys. But they never really got out wholeheartedly and made the case about, you know, what are going to be the policies to combat the economic insecurity, to combat the energy insecurity, bring us back to energy independence. What's going to be the, the plan to make sure that our border is protected? What's going to be the plan to make sure that we uh, correct the crime situation? And, and some candidates did a good job of that, but I'm talking about everybody being on the same sheet of music. But what did you see the Democrats do? They just came out and they fear Margaret the heck out of people. Yes. This is a threat to democracy. These yes. guys are going to end the world. And, and you know, some people bought into that. They completely forgot that they cannot afford to put gas in their tanks. They completely forgot that they uh, are struggling to make ends meet. Uh, they can't buy you know, food like they used to. So I think that the Republicans going forward, they've got to have this dedicated messaging and everybody has to be on the same sheet of music, but that requires the right type of leadership that can put that out there. And they've got to go and challenge the left they got to go on MSNBC. They've got to go on CNN. They got to go to all these different places and be on offense, not on defense. You're absolutely right. And I want to touch on something that you said, because you said that the fear mongering and, uh, you know, the end of democracy and, and those sorts of things. You uh, just this week put out an excellent column at the ACRU uh, called uh, Our Constitutional Republic Still Stands. Share with us some of the points in that missive. Well, first of all, America is not a democracy. It's a constitutional republic. And when you read in Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution, one of the things that the federal government is supposed to guarantee to every state in the union, that's why it's called a guarantee clause, is to provide a Republican form of government, not Republican Party, but a Republican form of government, which means the rule of law and then also respect of individual rights, freedoms and liberties. And again, this is where, you know, the messaging on the Republican side should have been better. They come out and talk about a threat to democracy to say, look, this, we're, there's no threat to democracy here. It's a threat to your Democratic Party progressive socialist agenda. And you start putting them on on the defense, getting them back on the heels. And furthermore, you say, OK, is censorship a threat to democracy? 
because that's what you guys stand for. We know that the Biden administration is colluding with big tech is stacking the Supreme Court, a threat to democracy. I mean, this is what you guys believe in, ending the filibuster in the Senate so you can just push the, everything through the Senate uh, in a simple majority instead of having that 60 vote threshold is, uh, you know, ending the Electoral College, the national popular vote, uh, uh, interstate compact, which is something that 15 Democrat states have come together on. And so that's how you got to, you know, parry and, and combat and get out there and be on the offense and put them on their heels. And that's not something that the, the Republicans did effectively. They basically let Joe Biden go out there and scream and yell with the ominous red uh, background uh, lighting on the Constitutional Hall. They allowed him to go out and denigrate and de demean and disparage mega mega republicans well the only people out there that are committing acts of violence no one ever talked on the republican side no one ever talked about antifa no one ever talked about jane's revenge who was going out there firebombing pro-life centers they just contained you know didn't hear anyone really talk that much about the canvasser that was beaten almost to a pulp and had to get facial reconstruction surgery marco rubio a canvasser or the woman that was just recently choked up there in New York at a, at a campaign rally. So I think that without a doubt, we have got to do a better job of pairing their talking points, but we gotta be proactive and get ahead of them. So our constitutional republic is still in good standing. This is not you know, the, the, the end of the world. And, and to uh, James Clyburn, uh, this is not the 1930s Germany. But oh, by the way, if you wanna talk about 1930 Germany, Nazi stands for National Socialists. That is absolutely right. I want to touch on on something that you said, though, because recently Pat Herring, uh, Harrigan, a Republican congressional candidate uh, and former Green Beret, had his home where his children were sleeping riddled yeah. with bullets, um, yeah. a male showing up to Justice Kavanaugh's home with a gun, um, a crowbar and zip ties and an envelope filled with mysterious white powder delivered to Carrie Lake. Uh, and even a beer can just recently thrown at Senator Ted Cruz during the Astros parade. Um, obviously, the only political violence that the media wants to talk about is between a San Francisco nudist BLM supporter <laughs> and yeah. Paul Pelosi, because they think that they can blame it on, you know, this whole January 6th uh, Trump conspiracy. Um, but is political violence against conservative re uh, figures, it has risen to a new height. Is it time uh, for a political affiliation to be a protected class, just like gender and religion? Well, it's getting really close to that. Uh, and of course, the progressive social left is not going to do that. And you forgot to mention, you know, Lee Zeldin. Uh, yeah, someone yeah. tried to stab him on a stage. And then, of course, the, the gunfight. Yeah, Steve Scalise. Uh, that was a Bernie Sanders supporter. So all of these things are there. We're, we're not talking hyperbole here. We're talking about fact. But that's how the progressive socialist leftists are. That's how Marxists are. That's how communists are, leftists, uh, because they can only implement their agenda by fear, uh, intimidation, coercion, uh, threats and ultimately violence. And that's exactly what we see happening. So they're not going to stand up and say anything about it. You know, they want to isolate on January 6th, one day, not a great day, but they say nothing about the summer of violence back in yes. 2020 when we had, you know, what, three or four months of, you know, neighborhoods and communities being burned to the ground, police stations and precincts being attacked, or some of the things we saw with the Border Patrol station uh, ice station out in the state of Washington, or the establishment of this, uh, you know, autonomous zone mm -hmm. out, out in Seattle, Washington. Now, if conservatives want to sit back and say, we're going to establish an autonomous zone <laughs> and we're going to run it with conservatives, the left would go crazy. That's insurrection. That That is, you're undermining our democracy. But there are rules for thee, not rules for me. And that's how they operate. And so we've got to do a better job of exposing them and who they are. The roster of GOP winners include an impressive slate of minority candidates, many of whom were uh, recommended or uh, were on the endorsement slate by the Guardian Fund and will serve as freshmen in the next uh, Congress. The GOP is being rewarded with the best numbers they've received from minorities in a very long time. Is the GOP finally beginning to get the message? What steps do they need to take to keep this momentum and improve upon it? 
Well, I don't know if they've gotten the message, but, you know, back a decade ago when I was in Congress and, you know, I remember running for Congress and, you know, coming up there to the NRCC headquarters, National Republican Congressional Committee, and, you know, introducing myself, looking to see if I could get support. And the first thing they ask is, are, how much money are you going to self-fund? Well, duh. Hey, McFly, I've been in the military for 22 <laughs> some odd years. I just, you know, getting back from Afghanistan, I'm not some rich guy. And so we started the Guardian Fund to get more military minority conservatives elected to office. And we've done a great job because we looked at it and said, this is a need. This is where we can truly have an impact in uh, communities that are underrepresented with the uh, Republican Party. And, you know, we're going to continue to do that. I would love to see the NRCC, uh, Republican Party, big RNC, you know, support the Guardian Fund and get behind it and, uh, you know, elevate it so that more people are aware of it and we can attract more military and minority conservatives to, to run for office. Great case in point. Anna Polina Luna, who won, flipped Charlie Chris uh, Congressional District over there on the west coast of Florida, Tampa, St. Pete area. So we have these opportunities out there that uh, Corey Mills was another one that we need to uh, take advantage of. He won an open seat in Florida. And if you really want to talk about the blueprint, of what should have happened uh, last night, uh, November the 8th, look at Florida. Uh, yes. Because in Florida, they stood strong. In Florida, you had leadership from the top. You had Florida, you had a clear understanding of their, their policy agenda and the fact that they were not going to back down. No drama involved. And so what ends up happening? You get a governor that wins by 20 percentage points. You get a governor that, you know, won by close less than 1% uh, four years ago, but now he's winning Palm Beach County, big feat, because I know that place. He won Miami-Dade County. You get Marco Rubio, and everyone was talking about Val Demings and how she was going to flip that seat and the tens mm -hmm. of millions of dollars that she had. She ended up losing by what, 15, 16 points. Mm -hmm. So if you want to try to replicate what has occurred, uh, what should have occurred, look to Florida because now Florida is the standard bearer of conservative states in the United States of America. And I, I got to tell you, I hate to say it, it ain't Texas. Um, let, let me share with you some numbers from Texas, Marie. And, but here in Dallas County, I, I went and looked at some of the, uh, the races here. Now, Robert Francis O'Rourke was defeated by Greg Abbott 548 to 43.9%. But here are the numbers in Dallas County. O'Rourke won Dallas County with 63% of the vote. To mm -hmm. Abbott's 36. The lieutenant governor uh, for the Democrats, their nominee, won Dallas County 63% to Dan Patrick 34%. The attorney general's race, Garza, the Democrat, won 62% in Dallas County. The very, you know, unconstitutional, out of control, lockdown chief, county judge, county administrator here, Clay Jenkins, won Dallas County with 62%. The George Soros back district attorney here in Dallas County, John Cruzo, one with 59%. And the very leftist congressional member, Colin Allred, won Dallas County with 69%. We got a problem. Uh, and, and so when you look across, you know, Florida, you know, they have really reduced the amount of blue that you see there. And so there's no doubt Florida is no longer a purple state. Uh, Florida is a clear red state. But we've got some problems in our major urban population centers here in Texas, and Republicans got to get more strategic. So how do we go about doing that? I think without a doubt, you got to go down to the to the local levels. Uh, we've got to pay more attention to city council races, school board races, county commission races. You know, everyone's upset about elections. And you, we started out talking about why are we sitting around waiting for a whole week or whatever? Well, Elections are executed at the county level. So we need to start winning those county commission races and making sure that we have the election supervisors that are on our side, as opposed to what you see uh, just happened down in Harris County, which is Houston, Texas, the largest county in the state of Texas, third or fourth largest in the United States of America, where, again, they had a failure of the uh, electra, election machines and all of these things. And so this incompetence can be corrected, but we got to focus our resources at those local levels. And again, I was so really upset when I looked down at the three Latinas that we had running in yes. South Texas. 
uh, that should have been a sweep. Myra yes. Flores didn't win. Uh, Cassie Garcia ended up not winning. Winning, we should have been able to defeat Henry Cuellar. Now, you did get Monica De La Cruz Hernandez. But the thing is that we've got to stay engaged down there and we've got to get people to understand from that, that local level of government all the way up to the federal level uh, that you're voting against your interests. So why would you vote for people that are going to make sure that you continue to have a wide open border and all the crime and criminality and human and sex trafficking and drug trafficking that goes along with it? I want to touch on something that you said there, because you uh, credited a Democrat, former Virginia Governor Terry McAuliffe, with much of the GOP success mm -hmm. this week because of his stance against parental rights that led to the rise of swaths of parents uh, who are now uh, castigating school boards and running for school board positions, something that you have said just about as long as I've known you, is the most elect, uh, most important elected uh, position in the country. Uh, why is this position so vital for those who don't understand, because it touches on your municipality point? And what specific advice would you give to those who are mulling such a challenge? To do it. And I would also say, look at the playbook of the South Lake Families Pack. Uh, who, after this cultural competency action plan, they stood this uh, pack up, they raised the money, they, they raised and trained up, uh, you know, candidates to go out there and they flipped their school board. Uh, and why is that important? Because either you're going to have indoctrination, you're going to have education of our children. And I think that we want to have education of our children. And that's where the left is going. The, the left is trying to, you know, institute their, their you know, really deviant, uh, belief system and into our schools going down to the elementary level. And again, you saw Ron DeSantis in, in Florida stand up and say, you're not going to have this stuff That's grooming right. our, our kids K to, to three or K to four. And the left went crazy. But guess what? The people rallied to that. And so I think we got that opportunity once again. And we should be talking about school choice as the civil rights issue of this generation, this That's time right, right now. And parents need to have that, the parental rights, the educational freedom, what have you. But when you look at places like California now, they're saying that if your little boy wants to be a little girl, just tell your school counselor and the counselor won't tell your parents. And we'll make sure you can go and get that transition surgery. You got to be kidding me. And so that's why these things are so important at the local level. And that's a great way that you build up a farm team. Uh, and I'm so proud. There's a young man, uh, a Jamaican who just won a, a seat on the Texas State Board of Education. He's down in the uh, one yes. of those uh, areas down around Corpus Christi. What an incredible story yes. for, this, for this guy. And, and that's how you do it. Uh, and, and so that should be one of the, the the races, one of the wins that we should be talking about and touting here in Texas. And the Republicans should be touting. That is right. Now, what is your reaction as a conservative black man to Stacey Abrams' criticism oh, <laughs> of, of black men who are not supporting liberal candidates in the numbers she would like because they, quote, have been very a very targeted population for misinformation. Yeah. Not misinformation about what they want, but what they, uh, but what they deserve, end quote. <laughs> You know, how condescending and offensive, but it goes right along the line of the progressive socialist, you know, thought process. When Joe Biden is on, was it Charlie Maggie, the king or whatever he calls himself, uh, his podcast, and he says, you know, if you're confused mm -hmm. about who you're voting for, if you're not voting for me, you ain't black. Give me a break. And so, again, you know, Stacey Abrams goes out there and really it's a slap in the face to to black men yes, it is. to say that you can't think on your own. You know, you got to listen to me, you know, big, big mama. OK, and big <laughs> mama say you need to be voting for me. And so I think about Creflo Dollar, you know, the, yes. the pastor there, you know. He has her in the in the church, yes. and he's standing there on on the stage yes. at the pulpit, and reaches down and said, I, "I'm, you know, I'm calling you Governor Abrams." Yes, yes, he did. But yeah, she just told you that you know, if, if you don't vote for me, I mean, it just shows that you're just a dummy, and you're a puppet of misinformation. So you need to go out there and support, you know, Big Mama. Well, Big Mama is done, and she ain't going nowhere. Uh, and if you want to talk about the big losers of November the 8th, 
Stacey Abrams and Robert Francis O'Rourke. Yes. Robert Francis O'Rourke, $234 million over all of these races that he's been in and zero, no, n never been elected. So that's an incredible uh, negative return on investment. But Stacey Abrams and the left, you, you know, it's, it's just offensive that they believe that, you know, my skin color uh, dictates how I should think. You know, to your point around that, though, the whole Creflo dollar thing, and, you know, I'm going to try this on for size, Governor Stacey Abrams, and yet, and yet, uh, one of the Tomahawk, uh, the Black Robe Regiment recipients, Ed Young, uh, is in some sort of hot water because they are saying that he said something. Um, the the pastor in Houston who had to turn in his sermons uh, oh, yeah. to get approval beforehand. All of this stuff that's happening towards those of us on the right who have a faith-based uh, position on, on a lot of these things. We're not able to say anything, but you can go into a, a pulpit if you're Creflo Dollar uh, preaching this false mm -hmm. prosperity gospel, if you will, and I put that in quotes. Or TV um, Jakes. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I did give him a little bit of credit because, you know, he did have Governor Abbott there for fairness sake because you're supposed to invite all the candidates and, yeah. you know, but still, to your point, yeah, absolutely. But don't be fair with the word of God, okay? You know, it says very simple. You're either hot or you're cold. If you lukewarm, right. I spew you from my mouth. So God ain't looking for you to be fair. God is looking for you to be biblical, especially right. if you're a pastor. So, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to hear this stuff. You know, I'm opening up a church to everybody. You know, everybody's free to, to come in and worship because we have the freedom of religion. But if you want to look as though you are supporting someone and, and being friendly and cozy with someone, you know, they've got to be biblical. And, and I just I just think that right now, you know, Ed Young is on on the right side. He's standing up on, on that, which is biblical. Uh, Creflo Dollar and T.D. Jakes, they're just looking at what is cultural, social and political, especially that which is accepted. Yes. I mean, religion is is of man. You know, faith is of God. And, and that's why I think that we've got to get back to our Judeo-Christian faith heritage and not so much about the dogma of, of religion, because that's what man creates. And he wants to make it accommodate, you know, and, and conform it so that he can be accepted. And so uh, I, I think there's going to be some very trying times. And it'll be interesting to look at the exit polls. You know, I'm a national spokesperson for My Faith Votes. And so it'll be interesting to see what the Christian community did in this midterm election cycle, because the history of Christians voting in midterm election cycles ain't that good. Uh, and so, again, uh, if all of a sudden we don't see Christians going out and voting their faith and their values and their principles, uh, and especially now at a time when the left is starting to turn uh, their sights on Christians, and that's why you have this Christian nationalism, you know, moniker that's being floated around out there, another tactic of fear and intimidation. Uh, we're going to need some strong pastors. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Do you have any statistics about those numbers? I think you said uh, it was 21% that um, it's gone down to in previous elections. Do you know uh, any of those preliminary numbers for, no. for votes this no, election? No, I, have, I haven't got it yet. As a matter of fact, after this, uh, I got to go run over and meet with some folks with my faith vote. So maybe they have some initial numbers, but uh, again, it'll, it'll be very interesting to see what happened with the uh, the Christian vote and the Christian community, because in a midterm election cycle, uh, Christian participation really does drop off. Now, as you've stated, we are Texans and Texas is mm -hmm. an oil state. Mm -hmm. The oil and gas industry uh, supports reportedly uh, 2.5 million jobs and adds 411 billion to the state GDP. So what does it mean for Texans and people in similar states to have a president boasting about his efforts to end oil drilling and coal production? I mean, why don't you just slice your own throat? Yeah. I mean, really, because energy independence and energy security is a linchpin between economic security and national security. Uh, and when you look at what is going on uh, over with Russia and Ukraine, if we just 
were pumping out our own oil and natural gas. And we were a net exporter of uh, oil and gas uh, in the last administration, the Trump administration. If we were doing that and sending it over to Europe, you're undermining the economic ability of Vladimir Putin to build up his military. Uh, And so, and you're strengthening our case through, again, through our energy independence and energy security. And you got a strategic petroleum reserve that we are draining uh, and I think it's purposeful and intentional, and we're selling it to other countries like China. Why would we sell our strategic petroleum reserves to, to China? So none of this makes sense when you try to look at it uh, objectively as what the Biden administration is doing, other than the fact they want to in- increase the pain on the American people to knuckle under to a, a green agenda. Now, we're about to go into winter. And there are already big concerns up north about heating oil, but it's not just the heating oil. I want you to also remember that our diesel prices are extraordinarily, uh, extremely high still, yes. five buck fifty for a gallon for diesel. And we have now gone down to about 20 to 25 days of diesel supply here in the United States of America. Well, guess what happens with the supply chain if you don't have the fuel out there to be able to move the goods and services? So all of this is nonsensical, but again, these were points that could have easily been made by Republican candidates all across the country, but they really didn't. That is absolutely right. You know, I'm old enough to remember uh, uh, being in line for hours in was it 1974, 1975? Yes. Yes. So it very short-sighted, very narrow-sighted, myopic. Um, And as you mentioned, we were energy independent. Yeah. I I mean, it's incredible. Yeah. And now we're going and we're, you know, going to Saudi Arabia, going to the despots, dictators, and, and autocrats, and saying, hey, can you turn up the spigot a little bit? And of yeah. course, now that they realize that they got us, you know, over a barrel, pardon the pun. Literally, yes. Literally. Uh, they say, no, we're going to cut production by 2 million, million barrels. So, but but what are we doing? And, and again, the nonsensical aspect of this, we're in a nuclear agreement talks with Iran, the number one state sponsor of Islamic terrorism. We want to buy uh, nasty crude oil from Venezuela, you know, Nicolas Maduro, a, a vicious Marxist communist dictator. Yeah. But none of this was clearly <laughs> articulated, uh, I think, in this election cycle by the Republicans. And it doesn't take much. I'm not a real brilliant guy. I used to jump out of airplanes, you know, and 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 fire big cannons. Uh, but you would think that someone could sit down and come up with a strategic communications plan, which I mean, that's what you're an expert at. And I don't understand why they don't just hire you to go up there and smack them around <laughs> and say, this is what you're going to go out and say today. This is what you're going to go out and say for this entire week. This is what we're going to be focused on for this month. And oh, by the way, if something changes, this is how we're going to you know, adjust and adapt. Well, thank you for that. I was on the dream team. So that was support cast for you because you do have the brilliant ideas. So. Nah. Now, you recently said on your Steadfast and Loyal podcast, quote, a good, smart leader, you just don't think about the 25 meter target. You think about the battles coming up, end quote. Mm -hmm. What should be on the Republican agenda so that they can win those upcoming battles against the progressive socialist Marxist left? Well, first of all, I know we've mentioned some, but. Yeah. Well, first and foremost, Marie, you know, it comes back to Sun Tzu and you got to study and understand your opposition and you got to figure out what are his goals and objectives. And you've got to beat him to that. And and we call that the the OODA loop. You observe, you orient, you direct and you act, decide and then you act because you got to get inside your your opponent's uh, decision cycle. Uh, And I always tell people about the the movie We Were Soldiers with uh, Mel Gibson. Uh, true Valley, uh, I mean, a, a true battle, the uh, Idrang Valley in, in Vietnam, first time that regular American forces went against uh, the North Vietnamese uh, Army. And when you look at that movie, once they got into contact and they were fighting against a superior force uh, in the North Vietnamese Army, but you saw Mel Gibson continue to cycle through his mind, what would he do next? And he beat him to that that key piece of terrain. Where would he go next? And he beat him to that key piece of terrain. 
that's what we we need to do and that's yeah. why you know it's a strategic uh you know cell that the gop needs to have to think about okay so where where what is the the left going to be doing now well, i can tell you joe biden was not going to come out and have a press conference today when he thought that everything was going to be a debacle now all of a sudden you know it wasn't a big red tsunami so he's going to yeah. come out and he's going to have a press conference so what do you think he's going to say <laughs> and so I, 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 I again this is where someone on the republican side should be out and they should have given a press conference talking about where we are what we need to do going forward this is not you know an american acceptance of the joe biden progressive socialist leftist agenda and let me remind you what that agenda means and they should be, have been able to articulate that they got to own the the news cycle they have to own the decision cycle they got to be thinking down the road and not just continue to react at like i say the 25 meter target that continues mm -hmm. to pop up the issue that the Democrats trusted to maintain their majority besides January the 6th was abortion. Mm. They painted women who voted Republican as, quote, roaches. Yes. Uh, voting for raid, end quote, because of abortion, which I find so ironic because is it raid what kills roaches? And they're killing their babies, something that Margaret Sanger wanted them to do. It was her goal all along, but, you know, I digress. Why didn't this issue help them as much as they had hoped? Because, you know, people aren't running around worrying about, you know, everyday Americans aren't running around worrying about, I got to murder a baby in yeah. the womb, you know, by dismembering it. or, and I want to do it all the way up to the time of birth. And, you know, if, you know, I, I want a baby to, to lay there and die, even if they survive an abortion. So, you know, I think that the kitchen table issues really didn't yes. mean a lot, but we never went on the office on this issue. And you and I have had this discussion before, you know, someone should have stood up and said, hey, you know what? If the Democrat Party thinks that murdering an unborn baby by dismemberment is such an important issue for them, an issue and a policy perspective that they share with the satanic temple of the United States of America, then let them go right ahead. You know, if, if they really want to chop up babies in the womb, that, that's their thing. But here are the things that I want to talk about. I want to talk about the inalienable rights of life, born and unborn, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and your property. And, and that's how you just, you know, undermine this entire conversation that they're trying to have. But instead, you know, you can't go out and cower and, and be afraid. And, and, and another pivot point was to show the violence. To constantly show, okay, look at this attack that just happened on a pro-life center. Look at this 80-something-year-old woman who was shot, I believe, in Michigan because she was out there, you know, canvassing uh, on the issue of pro-life. Now, now, if that had been a pro-choice person that was oh, shot, man. Katie barred a door. But most people don't know about that grandmother that was shot up there in Michigan. You're right. Our messaging is awful. And it's so interesting because as we've talked about in this interview, we talked about the Guardian Fund, how so many more minorities are voting Republican in this election. I saw so many um, focus groups where they had people from all swaths of life. And there were so many of us in the black community who are voting straight Republican, not just in a few races or this or that. I mean, straight Republican, because as you mentioned, to your point, the kitchen table issues of Main Street America are how it, I was talking to my family. We voted as a family this week and uh, we sat down and we had discussions about this. And I said, you know, our grocery bill has gone, it's just exploded mm -hmm. because, you know, the comparisons that you see on Facebook, the memes were, you know, bread was this and now it's this and milk was this and now it's this gas was this and now it's this. I mean, just really high inflation. And we talked about that. And I said, you know, these are issues that are so important. Property taxes. I said, mm -hmm. you know, we, as you know, we just bought our, our, our first house because we could never afford a home in California. Mm -hmm. So we just bought our first house. And I said, you guys are going to inherit the tax on this property it's like five thousand dollars a year and yeah. you guys are gonna have to split that because you know you've got to vote for people who believe in lowering or eliminating property taxes yeah. so we talked about these issues and we were at the kitchen table so we were talking about these are the issues that are important and this is why 
we vote the way that we do. Not just, you know, like you said, the abortion issue, which is really important, by the way, mm-hmm. um, you know, and not some of these other issues that are really important, by the way. But it's so important to teach our children why and connect the dot, help them connect the dots yes. to understand that this is generational. You know, I mentioned in your introduction about Jackson, mm-hmm. uh, my kids, you know, as, as I get older and I see that day coming and I look at, you know, when I'm going to have uh, grandchildren and those sorts of things, I think about, you know, this is the legacy. You mentioned that in a recent column, legacy yep. about what we're going to leave to our children and our grandchildren. And that's so important to someone like me. And I think that that resonated with a lot of voters who are in that demographic who have that sandwich generation they've got older parents that they're caring for they've got kids that they're raising up and these are how are we going to get food on the table how are we going to pay our taxes how are we going to do all of these things um and it's so important that you vote for people who get it no you're you're 100 right and so you know when i think about these issues that you're articulating the demographic that is most adversely affected is the black community you want to talk about the life issue? What, 25 million black babies murdered in the womb since 1973, Roe v. Wade. The whole purpose of Planned Parenthood was to really go after human uh, weed, you know, weeds and, and, and undesirables. You know, that's how Margaret Sanger referred to blacks. You want to talk about the crime issue? Look at look at Chicago. Look at all the major inner cities. Where do you see the preponderance of that crime being committed by and being the victim of? It's in the black community. You want to talk about the education issue? Where do you find all the failing schools? You, you know, we just saw the statistics about how our kids, fourth and fifth grade, they're nowhere near reading and doing math at grade level. Well, guess who it hurts the most? I mean, most of the kids in the inner city, they can't sit at home. They don't have a computer and all these things to uh, to continue to keep up with their work. So you saw kids that just fell off the uh, the wagon for a year or so because they didn't get any type of education. So we've got to talk about this. And just think about it. just just imagine this. Did we ever see a Republican candidate in this election cycle coming out of a grocery store with a uh, the grocery, the shopping cart and just talked about, you know, I just bought this loaf of bread. Two years ago, this was the price of loaf of bread. This is what it is today. Here's a carton of eggs. Here's a gallon of milk. They never made that connection. I mean, Dr. Oz went into a grocery store and talked talking about some, I don't know, arugula or something, something I've never <laughs> heard of, something I ain't going to eat either, okay? And, and that's how out of touch it was. But if every Republican candidate had done that, or if every Republican candidate just took out a cell phone and shot a cell phone video and, and made that a commercial ad of them filling up their gas tank. Yeah. Then well, that shows you like everybody else. Yes. We've got Thanksgiving coming up to look at what traditional foods are for Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. how much that's going to cost this year, right before the election. You know, we're in November. Thanksgiving is coming up. Here's what it's going to cost you this year. And that's some sticker shock right there. Yeah. And so you're right. That's absolutely right. And I want to touch on something that you said, because you said earlier that uh, school choice is a civil rights issue of our time. And you and I have talked about that trope for many, many years. In fact, Mm -hmm. I think maybe the first time that I ever talked to you, we talked about that. And so I'm thinking about Oakland. I'm thinking about Chicago. I'm thinking about Baltimore. You know, you don't ever see them at schools either. Uh, talking about why is it that kids can't read? Texas is, what is it, 45th out of? Yeah, we're down there. We're really down there. Um, All of these things. And like you said, the violence in black communities. We don't hear about that. We hear about Uvalde, and that was a terrible, terrible, terrible Mm -hmm. tragedy. Um, But we don't hear about Chicago every single weekend. It is almost like the black community does not exist. Um. And that's troubling to me because it bothers me that uh, the math and the reading, as you said, and that our uh, system is dependent on property taxes to fund. So affluent schools stay affluent, poor schools stay poor, um, and our kids are are caught in the crossfire. And uh, if we've got this deficit now of trillions and trillions of dollars and it is dependent on our children to pay these onerous taxes uh, because we got ourselves into some hot water 
How are we supposed to compete in the global marketplace? I was telling um, a homeschool group because my my oldest son was thinking about volunteering because he did robotics all through mm. school, starting in first grade, all the way uh, through high school. He did robotics and now he wants to volunteer a little bit. And we were talking about how I think we saw maybe a handful of black families in some of the robotics stuff that we yeah. did um, because nobody was really focusing on STEM because as you said, to your point, kids aren't even reading or doing math on grade level, much less pursuing some of these other things. So, you know, I I would really like to see in terms of messaging more uh, candidates, especially as as we're seeing minority candidates, really focus and dig in on this issue. And as you said, you know, talk about what it means for families in terms of their pocketbooks and budgets, Mm -hmm. and also what it means for our school systems to be so inequitable. Still, after Brown v. the Board of Education, we still have separate schools that are unequal. Um, And so, yeah, those are big issues that I would really like to see the GOP address. Do you remember that postmortem 10 years ago that we were supposed to have? Yeah, that $10 million that we were supposed to have to address these inequities. And I still haven't seen a dime of that. I don't know if you ever saw any of that, but I didn't see the postmortem either. So. No. Well, again, it comes back to something I've always talked about is the quality of outcomes versus the quality of opportunity. And we need to make sure that we have that equality of opportunity and not, you know, lowering standards so that someone can get out there on, on the playing field, uh, which is what the Supreme Court, uh, I think, just made a, a recent ruling on. So that is the key. And, and hopefully with this new class of uh, legislators that are going up there to Washington, D.C., they will discuss some of these things. You know, I I, I wish I could hear more of this from Tim Scott. I wish I would yes. hear more of this from Byron Donalds because uh, Byron Donalds' wife is heavily involved in education. Well, let's talk about that disparity in education, not based upon the skin color, but based upon the community and the locale and, and what, you know, Randy Weingarten and the teachers unions are doing to those inner city communities where they don't have that choice to, to, to go out there and do robotics. They don't have the choice to, to be able to go to a successful school. They're relegated to a failing school, which means that if you're relegated to a failing school, you know, Marie, from, you know, the ages K through four, you're learning to read because from four on through, you read to learn. And if you miss that first part, then you're behind a power curve for the second part. That's absolutely right. Now, you said this earlier, uh, you mentioned about big tech. What is Mm -hmm. your impression thus far of efforts, uh, the efforts of our fellow Texan, Elon Musk, uh, to bring free speech to Twitter? Hey, look, I I just based it upon the reaction that you see from the left. I mean, now he's enemy number one. They used to love him for all the electric vehicles that he was uh, doing, but now he's taking away one of their favorite little toys. Uh, And and of course, you know, the the election was supposed to be all rigged and what have you, because Elon Musk was over there at Twitter. Uh, That did not happen. So I think that, again, this is about trying to undermine our free speech. They want to have accepted speech. Uh, and they want to be able to suppress any message that is out there that uh, they don't agree with and, and that challenges them. So, you know, hats off to uh, Mr. Musk. And hopefully he will, you know, continue to be committed to the things that he has said as far as protecting free speech. And he will continue to be convicted to stand by that when things get a little rough. If you're just joining us, our guest this segment has been Alan West, who is the author of Whole Texas, Whole the Nation, uh, and other books, We uh, Can Overcome, and uh, The Guardian of the Republic. He also hosts a podcast, Steadfast and Loyal. Alan, how can people continue to follow your work? Well, I'm out there on all those social media platforms. You know that. I just come up with the messaging, and you're so brilliant that you make sure that the voice gets out there. So uh, follow me on all the social media platforms. Follow the Steadfast and Loyal podcast, the books that we have. You can go out and get them through Amazon. Uh, and, And I think that We Can Overcome is a very important book because the Black community has to stop being victims, and they have to start being victims. Uh, you know, I hate the Victors. word victors. I'm sorry, victors. I hate the word we shall overcome. We shall overcome is passive. That's why I wrote the book that says we can overcome because that's an active verb. And we will overcome. I think we, that's the ne- that's the next book, right? Is we will overcome. Oh man, you put more pressure on me. <laughs> Because, I mean, as we talked about these gains that we're making and we are seeing people wake up 
from that group think. That's so key. And that is the next step. So thank you for being our guest today. It's my pleasure always. And thanks, Marie, for your friendship and for your mentoring, uh, because you have been a very integral part of my development as a constitutional conservative Christian over these years. Well, and the feeling is mutual. So thank you. God bless. Bye-bye. God bless. And that was our wrap up with Alan West on this election week episode of Econs. Let's bring in DK and see what he has to say. Hola. Well, hello, sir. How are you? <laughs> How are you? I'm doing all right. So what was your, your take on all that? Well, as we de deconstruct this election <laughs> cycle. Well, like, Mr. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, I did have a few takeaways from the election I want to share with you. One is, without a doubt now, Ron DeSantis is the most bankable yes, star in the he GOP. Is. You know, he won in 2018 with 49.6% of the vote. He got reelected at 59.4% of the vote. It's a nearly 20% uh, increase, which is extraordinary in a supposedly blue state like Florida. I guess let's just say a formerly blue state or purple state like Florida because he really turned the entire state red, including um very heavily Hispanic uh, areas. So yeah. um, Carrie Lake did not perform up to her expectations. Uh, other supposedly rising stars did not even win. So it's uh, Ron DeSantis. He's going to be very tough for anyone to beat if he decides to run for president. Yeah, I, I, I'm a little sad today, uh, this week, uh, uh, talking to Colonel West because, as you know, I served on his team uh, for his gubernatorial run. So it's a little bittersweet because I do think that he is uh, – I think that Ron DeSantis is a – copy of Alan West. So I, I think that he is in that vein, but you know, Alan is kind of the gold standard as far as I'm concerned. So I, I hope that we do rise up more men like Colonel West and like Ron DeSantis and others who are, maybe it wasn't their time this particular election. Maybe we'll hear more from them in the future. I hope that's the case. I think Myra Flores has a, a, a brilliant career ahead of her. Um, I mean, to see the way that she clapped back at AOC at every opportunity when they tried to take her down and mock her and her heritage and a lot of different things, she always had something at the ready. And so she is a firecracker. She is not taking the mess uh, because, as you know, they talk about us because, you know, as we talked about with Colonel West, that, you know, if you're not marching to their drummer, then, you know, they've got to say something about you and mock you and um, castigate you and use that cudgel and get you back in line. And so um, I, I have real issues with that. So I'm hoping that we see a lot more of these people who are cut from their own cloth begin to, to take up positions of power. Right. Well, you mentioned uh, Ron DeSantis and Alan West, you know, you know better than I would, but I believe, if I remember correctly, they served in Congress together. They were both congressmen and from Florida, and I believe they're also fairly good friends, or at least uh, acquaintances. So hopefully if uh, Ron DeSantis does make it to the White House, he'll, he'll find a nice cabinet position for our friend Alan West. Um, that would it's be hard awesome. to think of someone more deserving. Okay, point number two. Uh, the Herschel Walker versus Walnut race is still a winnable one for Republicans. Supposedly, uh, it's going to go to a, a runoff. I think a it's runoff. December 6th yeah. or, or, or around that date. Herschel Walker has a not a great shot at winning, but he has a, a good shot at winning because in the runoff, there won't be a libertarian candidate. The libertarian vote may flip to Herschel Walker. And if he can win 75% of the libertarian vote, which may or may not be possible, then he wins the seat. You know, unfortunately, the libertarians I meet all tend to be liberal, but maybe the libertarians in, in Georgia are real libertarians and 
would rather see Hershey Walker in the Senate than um, Raphael Warnock. So, well, we need to rush a copy of this podcast to the Walker team. So we've got all his messaging points because Colonel West made them for him. So here's the things you need to be talking about. Do those selfie videos at the, at the, what did you call it? The shop, right? Or what is it? The store in, in Joyce? <laughs> you don't have shop rights enough. <laughs> we don't have, we don't have shop, right? No, we, like, we have H-E-B. You have so, H-E-B and Higgy, H-E-B. Higgy Wigglies. And... Oh, I don't, I, I've never seen a Higgy Wiggly. <laughs> Sorry, no. Okay. Oh, point number three. It's a similar situation in uh, Arizona with between Masters and Kelly. From what I hear, there are 300,000 outstanding votes to be counted. Um, and they're all in Maricopa County, which yes. is supposedly very solidly conservative. It's a hotbed. Masters can win 65% of those outstanding votes, which supposedly is very doable. If he can win 65% of those votes, he takes that seat. So if if Masters can do that and Hershey Walker can win 75% of the Libertarian vote, then the Republicans would have a 51-49 majority in the Senate, which would be a, a great thing. So, yeah, I was, I was kind of down watching the election results, but looking at these numbers, I think there's still hope for a lot of good things to happen for our side, the conservative yeah. side. So... You keep my head up for that. One thing I'm not happy about is what happened in Pennsylvania. Yes. Pennsylvania <laughs> essentially took, essentially replaced Pat Toomey, one of the most conservative senators in the country, and replaced them with uh, a liberal extremist with cognitive damage. And not only that, they elected another liberal extremist as governor this uh, Shapiro guy. So that's very disconcerting because Pennsylvania was always known as a, a purple state. They elect conservatives, they elect liberals, but if they've turned solidly liberal, even voting for people who are against fracking, for example, which is responsible for so many Pennsylvanian jobs, yeah. if they start voting liberal, that's 20 electoral votes that's going to be a big difference in the next presidential election. So it's a very bad thing. And besides, how do you vote for someone with that much cognitive damage? I know your former state had a senator, <laughs> as a senator, who supposedly they won't let out her out of her room, but she keeps getting reelected. You know, Diane Feinstein is rumored to be completely uh, lost, even more lost than our president. So... And you know what I find interesting about that? You know, they tried to use the 25th Amendment uh, against Donald Trump. For what? I mean, he had no cognitive delay or, or, or even seemed to have it. I mean, mean tweets, sure. Okay, fine. But I, I don't think that that's a symptom in the DSM-5 of cognitive damage of some sort is that you send mean tweets. So, yeah, you're right. We've got Dianne Feinstein. We've got... Uh, Joe Biden, and now we have John Fetterman. And um, these are real concerning issues. I mean, these are real, I mean, where you've got like evidence just over time on camera constantly, just over and over and over, where you can cite example. There's one and congressman, I uh, forget his name, but I always remember this quote because he was, he was doing a congressional testimony thing. He was talking to a general who wanted to move a fort or battleships or whatever it was. And the congressman actually asked the general, if you put all so much military on one side of the island, wouldn't the island flip over? That was a, that was a legitimate question from a congressman. So you really have to question the intelligence of, of a lot of these people. What else do you have for us today? One, one final quote. We hear a lot about systemic racism and Alan West touched upon this very well, much better than I could, but I wanna put my two cents anyway. The problem is not systemic racism, it's systemic bias. That's why the Democrats did so well this election cycle. They, with the DNC, I always call them MSDNCNN, because they're all linked and they're all against the conservative movement. 
and a, a great example would be the the Paul Pelosi scandal or whatever that was when you know he's <laughs> he's answering the door for the police and going back to his supposed attacker so oh how he even called the police no one has any idea but he answers the door for them goes back and wrestles so excuse me Mr. Officer I got to go wrestle this guy for a hammer just, it's been two weeks and we have no details, right? I mean, has it been two weeks? It's been maybe more than two weeks. But we don't have any details. And the, amazing the guy thing was running around in his underwear. That's it. And that, he, and and even the fact that he's a a, a liberal has been kind of uh, quashed by the the media because it doesn't fit their narrative. Well, that's the point I wanted to make. It's not that the case itself is bizarre, but it is. But it's not just that. <laughs> it's the way the media. Yeah, it's working with the DNC to shout down yeah. anybody who asks legitimate questions about how did this happen? Hunter Biden. Oh, you're asking Hunter, questions yeah. about Hunter Biden, yeah. your uh, conspiracy nut. Yeah. You have any questions? But January 6th. Oh, no, we've got to. Yeah. You have any questions about yeah. the last presidential uh-huh. election? Of course, your first election name, denier. Your first name is election denier. I mean, yeah. they talked about someone like Carrie Lake. It's always conspiracy theorist. Carrie yeah. Lake. That's that's officially her name now. It's not Mrs. Carrie Lake. It's election denier Carrie Lake. And her middle name is conspiracy theorist. Yes, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, they there used to be professors who would say the media adds five percent to ten percent to the polling for a, a, the Democrat candidate. It seems like it's much more than that now. Yeah. They they've come very heavily in favor of one side they have not just their thumb on the scale they have their full body weight on the scale right? and i think that's going to be a, a very tough problem for the conservative side to ever overcome well there you have it another episode with Marie and DK here for African American Conservatives. Make sure that you like, subscribe, follow, go to brightnews.com or go to uh, anchor.fm forward slash A-A-C-O-N-S. So I'm Marie. I'm DK. And this is African American Conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement.